This is the Caveat Mentor Podcast, Season 1, Episode 5, where we're going to be talking about how stablecoins work. My name is Mentor. I've spent the last 10 or so years in crypto, making mistakes and trying to learn from them. I write both Web 2 and Web 3 software, and it's my intention in this podcast to explain blockchain technology as I understand it. Starting with a little housekeeping, uh, this is a live stream. So uh, if you're listening to this later, uh, you can join us in the Rocketeers Discord for notifications for future live streams. Those who are here will get a super dank pull-up for their troubles. Uh, so if you are one of those collectors, please do join us. For this episode, there is a giveaway. Uh, my original intention was to give away a bunch of USDC. However, I think it's more fun to give away a bit of all the big uh, stablecoins. So I'll be giving away 5 USDC, 5 Tether, 5 DAI, and actually let's make it 10 of each, and 3 Rye. Why we're doing 3 Rye, we'll get to uh, by, uh, by bullet point 10 or so. If you want to qualify for the giveaway, uh, basically you buy one of the support the episode pull-ups. If you already have one, you can enter the raffle with uh, one of them. And if you want higher chances of winning and supporting the podcast, I'll put the link in the description of this episode. So the way you can think about stablecoins is they're in essence a fiat-pegged or fiat-related payment rail on crypto. So what does that mean? Um, fiat is the word that uh, in the monetary system, and especially p- crypto people, we like to use for uh, the money that we pay with uh, in the traditional banking system. So think dollars, euros, that kind of thing. A stablecoin is a corollary to that that runs on a blockchain. So remember, our blockchain is basically like a spreadsheet, and where the spreadsheet can keep track of who owns, say, how many Bitcoins or Ether, uh, since on a smart contract blockchain like Ethereum, we can basically code any token type, uh, we can create a token type that is linked to a, a fiat currency. In practice, that usually means it's linked to dollars. Um, yes, as a European, I feel slightly uh, disadvantaged by this, but things are what they are. There are a few advantages to stablecoins relative to, say, regular digital dollars, the way that you're used to them in, the, in an online banking system, and there are a few downsides. So we'll go over the upsides and downsides first, and then we're going to go over the different token types, different stablecoin types, uh, to further your understanding of how you can tell apart, say, USDC, Tether, uh, DAI, Rye, and, uh, and how they differ from each other. One of the upsides of moving dollars over a blockchain is that you have the same amount of fees regardless of transfer size. I'm not sure if uh, any of you listening have tried to transfer, say, internationally or even uh, larger amounts of money uh, nationally, depending on your country, but often um, the providers who make these transfers for you, say the banks, they charge a percentage of what you are trying to transfer, and that can get quite expensive. Uh, especially if you hop multiple banking systems. Uh, I've used this example before, uh, but I import tea from Japan uh, because I really enjoy it. In order to do that, I need to send Japanese yen. I already use a a fintech solution for this. It's wise.com, super, super nice. Uh, But still, the fees are relatively high and it takes a week, sometimes two, for the money to arrive. So that touches on two of the advantages, low fees regardless of amount and instant settlement. So you don't need to wait for your money uh, to arrive. 
Another upside is perfect auditability. So all the transfers that are done in stablecoins are recorded on uh, the blockchain that they're transferred on, which means that from an auditor's perspective, it's very easy to see who transferred money to who, uh, when that happened, how much, under what conditions, and so forth. That is immediately also a downside. So when using stablecoins, it is not very easy uh, to transfer money anonymously uh, the way you would with cash. Uh, so right now, if you pay something in a store, you do it in cash, nobody knows, at least no one in, in a central place. And if you pay by card, uh, your bank knows, but we tend to be less nervous about that since the data is fragmented. People get more nervous uh, about, for example, a central bank digital currency where the government would be able to see everything than they do about commercial parties like banks uh, being able to see things. Um, but yeah, this is a downside of a potential downside of stablecoins. Perfect auditability is also a public record of all the transfers you've made. Another downside is that there is no universal interface to traditional finance platforms. So while it is easy to transfer, say, $1 or $1 million from one person to another, even across many borders, there is no standardized way for either the sender or the recipient uh, to turn their what they consider regular money into stablecoins and stablecoins into regular money. I know a bunch of the people listening are crypto natives, so to us we don't really worry about that too much. We transact in stablecoins uh, more often than not, and we're perfectly familiar with the on and off ramps. Uh, but it is a bound, like a um, yeah, it is a hindrance to using stablecoins as, say, a default payment system. Um, but yeah, in the future, it could become, for example, a useful payment rail uh, behind the infrastructure of banks. So a stable coin is always stable relative to something. And nine out of 10 times in the current system, that means two dollars. Now, a regular dollar is always a claim on someone else. It used to be that a dollar was a claim on a certain amount of gold held by a government. Um, most commonly now, when you have a dollar in your bank account, it is a claim on your bank. So in essence, those dollars in your account say, uh, the bank owes me one dollar, or however much you have in your, uh, in your account, um, worth of value. Now what that means is the bank has a big portfolio of loans, equity, stock, money market funds, that kind of thing. Um, that basically you have a claim on as a user. This is a, a bit of a mind spin for some people. The dollars in your bank account aren't the same as dollars that you hold physically. In stable coins, you can always ask, what is this token a claim on and who am I claiming on? Um, the easiest way to start to understand this concept is basically just to go through the different types of stable coins. And for those of you who know the traditional banking system well, uh, this is going to be a little bit more natural. Um, and to those who are not familiar with it, this is going to be quite a bit of fun, I think. So remember that ERC-20 tokens, which most stablecoins are, are fungible tokens managed by a smart contract, which just means that in our spreadsheet, that is the blockchain, uh, there is one type of cell uh, that has a standard um, a couple of standard operations, like you can check its balance, you can transfer if you are the owner of, uh, of a few tokens, 
uh, but the contract makes the rules. And the most important rules are who can mint the stablecoin, what is a stablecoin a claim on, and on who is it a claim, and what are the rules for moving this money around, and who gets to do what. All right, so within that framework, so who mints, what is the claim on, and what are the rules, there are three types of stablecoins that are currently dominant. The first is a centrally backed stablecoin. Examples of this, USDC and Tether. What this in essence means is when you have one USDC, so Circle's USD implementation, they have a bank account somewhere and they promise you that one token you hold in the spreadsheet, in the blockchain, corresponds to a dollar that is in a regular bank account. And you can actually go and redeem um, this token for a quote-unquote uh, traditional dollar. So that's an example of a centrally backed um, stablecoin. Another type is collateralized algorithmic stablecoins. Note, we're going to uh, juxtapose those to non-collateralized algorithmic coins. So collateralized algorithmic coins are things like MakerDAO's DAI, and non-collateralized algo stablecoins haven't really had a good track record in the past. The most well-known one is probably uh, the UST from uh, Terra Luna, which collapsed so spectacularly um, only a couple months ago. It feels much longer seeing as uh, uh, FTX blew up from the perspective of this episode only a couple weeks ago. All right, so looking at the three aspects of a stablecoin we want to look at. So who can mint it? What is it a claim on? And what are the rules? If you look at USDC, the answer to those three questions is who can mint? Uh, well, Circle can mint. Circle is a company. Uh, it falls under the Coinbase umbrella. Uh, and whenever they want, they can just create new USDC. They promise that that USDC is backed by something worth a dollar. I'm not sure what their, what their current internal audits say, uh, but for ease of understanding, assume they have a bank account somewhere, and if there is a, a billion USDC, they promise they have a billion of regular dollars in a traditional bank account. For the more financially savvy, it's far more likely that they're using money market funds, um, treasuries, you know, basically the traditional financial assets that a regular bank would use as well. And in that sense, they're kind of operating like a shadow bank, um, but with a weird capacity for credit creation. We can cover that at some other, other episode, but it's a fun rabbit hole. All right, so who can mint? Circle can mint. Basically, the smart contract has a rule that says, if you are Circle, you can call this function and create as many extra USDCs as you want. Uh, that is all within the spreadsheet. The reason that one USDC is worth $1 is that we trust that Circle has a bank account somewhere. Uh, now, I, I trust Circle reasonably well, uh, but a lot of people get very nervous uh, because the regulation around this is as such that the audits aren't as good as we would like them to be. People are more nervous about, for example, Tether, who are notoriously unwilling to provide audits of their assets and USDC is trying to be, be a little bit more above board about that. But anyway, so who's the claim on? It's on Circle. Circle can mint, and it's a claim on Circle. What are the rules? 
circles the bus. Now the upside is we can see exactly what the rules are ahead of time. We can look at the USDC smart contract and we can see that they're allowed to mint USDC, they can freeze USDC, they can destroy USDC. So we get the advantages of a blockchain when using USDC, which is to say we can move things around pretty quickly, we can do so trustlessly, we can do so permissionlessly, it opens up all sorts of cool DeFi things. But while the execution of those things is managed uh, in a decentralized manner, it, the tokens themselves are under the control of Circle. They can freeze accounts and that kind of thing. Um, for those who haven't paid attention to uh, to the in, inner workings of blockchain too much, yes, that is perfectly feasible. Remember, a smart contract can have any rules that you want, including the person who made the contract can do whatever they want with the tokens. So that's the example USDC. Tether is the same. So Tether is also a centrally uh, collateralized stablecoin, but like I said, people are a little bit more, more, more nervous about their balance claims. Uh, we can juxtapose that to a well-known collateralized algorithmic stablecoin, and that is DAI of Maker. So in the case of DAI, who can mint, what is the coin to claim on, and what are the rules? So who can mint? There's a contract that determines the minting of DAI. Now the way that MakerDAO works is actually quite cool. They work based on this thing called a collateralized debt uh, obligation. I think, I think the CDP. So honestly, I forgot what the last one stands for. It's a collateralized debt token. The way you can think about it is like a pawn shop. So Americans know what a pawn shop is from our European friends. You probably know it from that Discovery Channel uh, show where people bring in something valuable to have into a store. Uh, and then the guy behind the counter, the guy or the girl behind the counter says, okay, I can give you $500 for this. It's my best offer. Um, the way that, that works is the pawn shop takes whatever you give them, they give you money. And if you come back within two weeks and you pay a small amount of interest, you can buy back your own, uh, your own asset. Um, if you don't show up again, they keep it. And in the case of Maker, it kind of works the same. So what Maker allows you to do is if you, for example, take $200 worth of Ether, you can go to the maker system and say, okay, I have $200 worth of Ether. I will give it to you. How many die can I get for this? Where one die is $1. Um, and they'll give you 100 die, for example, uh, depending on the ratios that the contract is set. Why would you want to do that? Well, perhaps you want to keep your Ether, but you know, in the meantime, you expect it to go up but you also want to do some, some payments. You want to buy some food, maybe you want to buy a house, not with that amount of money, of course. Um, so what you do is you bring in 200 worth of ether and you get 100 DAI. What does that mean? You can go transact with this 100 DAI now, but each of these dies is backed by twice its value in ether, in the smart contract. If you never claim back your ether, it'll just stay in a smart contract. A little bit like with the pawn shop. The cool thing, however, is if the Ether decreases too much in value, then Maker is allowed to sell your ETH so that your DAI um, remains backed by a sufficient amount of value. Um, so a collateralized debt position, that's the P, um, is really like a pawn shop, but the pawn owner can sell your collateral if they're worried that they're not gonna be able to cover their, their basis. 
That means that basically anyone can mint with the cleared assets of the Maker protocol. Uh, you can look up the list online, and there's actually a very interesting fact that a lot of a lot of DAI is actually backed by USDC. So from a transactor's perspective, the point of DAI is to be $1. But from the perspective of people who are minting DAI, they're probably wanting to do other stuff with it. You know, they want to keep their ETH. And for example, you can do esoteric DeFi things with it. You know, if you take 200 worth of ETH, get 100 DAI, and then use that 100 DAI to buy ETH again, you have essentially taken leverage, a leverage position uh, in ETH. And you can keep doing that. Take the DAI, buy the ETH, mint the DAI, take the DAI, buy the ETH, with of course lesser amounts going up and up. And, up. and uh, so long as ETH keeps going up in value, you're good. It goes down, you get liquidated. And it is essentially a decentralized margin system. All right, so who can mint, who can claim, uh, who's the claim on, and what are the rules? So minting is done by the smart contract based on uh, over collateralized positions. It is a claim, so every die is a claim on whatever the minter of the die brought into the smart contract, which always is more than the die itself. And the rules, well, the rules are set in the contract. And in the case of Maker, they have a governance token, MKR. Um, we'll get to, to Rai in a second, but so die is, Maker is slightly more centralized in their approach. Well, slightly, it's quite more centralized. It's more uh, concentrated holders, more committee-based. They tend to want to focus on institutions, be relatively compliant with the rules of the world. Uh, you can think about that what you want. Um, but while it is a DAO, it is on the more central uh, spectrum of that uh, that word. DAI has this, or Maker has this stability module, the PEG stability module, which means you can bring in one USDC and get one DAI out. Because of the list of assets that Maker allows for minting DAI, um, one of the biggest ones is USDC, which is another stable coin. So while DAI itself is a plausibly decentralized system. Um, if Circle would want, they could depack DAI. So if Circle blacklists the USDC that is in the maker system, uh, they could depeg uh, the the maker system. Because while maker can say like, hey, if, if your collateral drops below a certain value, we'll sell it. Uh, if USDC Circle uh, suddenly just goes to zero, uh, there's not much to sell. Uh, which means the peg would uh, would be lost. So this is one of the criticisms of uh, of MakerDAO's die. Even though it is quite decentralized, it currently is quite heavily dependent on centralized players. So the last type of stablecoin is the completely algorithmic stablecoin, which is not collateralized by a third-party asset. Uh, the most well-known is the Terra Luna system, uh, which imploded. Uh, I hasten to say, as far as I know, there is no pure algorithmic stablecoin that actually worked. Uh, which is not to say it's impossible, um, but I do think it's likely that uh, whatever algorithmic magic people come up with in the coming years is not likely to produce a stablecoin that will perpetually be stable. So who can mint? What is the token claim on? And what are the rules? In the case of an algorithmic stablecoin, the minting is commonly ruled by an algorithm. So an algorithm will create and destroy uh, the stablecoin based on some system with 
esoteric rules. Um, commonly, the claim of the stablecoin is on some sort of governance asset, uh, and the rules there in the contract. The corollary to how you can think about how this works, or one of the ways in which it has in the past been made to work, is if you start a traditional company and you say, I'm going to uh, issue a stablecoin on behalf of this company, just think away blockchains for a second. And the company says, we are going to back this stablecoin with our uh, company equity, so with our company stock, uh, which creates a weird position where if the company stock has value, then the stablecoin is value. And if people start using the stablecoin, then the value of the stock goes up and you have more collateral for your stablecoin. And like this, you can sort of create a system where your asset is linked to your product, to your stablecoin. Uh, but there's nothing really fundamentally underpinning this system, aside from whatever algorithm you've created to manage the disbalance between the value of your governance asset and your stablecoin. Um, like I said, so far, I've seen none that work at scale. The last stablecoin we're covering today is Rye. Now, it isn't a coincidence that it sounds like DAI. Um, a lot of their code base is actually forked from uh, the maker system. The Rye system is super interesting. So thank you uh, to Nix, who's also in the live stream, uh, for, uh, for bringing this one up as a, a topic. I had very much uh, had fun this morning reading through their, their system notes. In essence, they have a stablecoin, which is a collateralized algorithmic stablecoin, but it is not pegged to the dollar. So the goal of Rye is not to be a specific one Rye is one dollar type peg. So instead of having a hard peg, they have a floating peg. So they're trying to keep their Rye approximately around a certain value, but they are okay with it going up and down within a band that they deem acceptable. Where in Maker, we have the collateralized debt positions, the pawn shop. Um, Rye has a similar system, but instead of CDPs, they call them safes. Uh, and they work the same as Maker, uh, Maker CDP. So you, you bring in ETH collateral, which is their only collateral type. Uh, and if your ETH drops below a certain value, then they sell your ETH uh, so that the, uh, the stable token, and note stable here does not mean pegged, it means the relatively stable token. Um, they sell your ETH so that the token retains its value. If, for whatever reason, they were unable to sell your ETH for a certain value, they use the uh, surplus that is in the Rye system to cover the deficit. So whenever you go and you pawn off your ETH, you put in 200 and you take 100 Rye, um, which is actually not the current exchange rate, but anyway, um, you pay a percentage fee for this service. And a, a part of that percentage goes towards the surplus of the system. So basically, they're slowly building up a financial buffer the more people mint Rye. Uh, and they use that buffer in case they are unable to uh, sell ETH at a price that is necessary to maintain their peg, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, if that uh, failsafe fails, then their system will automatically sell uh, their FLX governance token and to basically allow anyone who thinks the FLX token is worth it uh, to input money into the system in exchange for some form of voting rights. 
Uh, I, I haven't actually looked at what voting rights FLX uh, buys you. I do know that it is the goal of Reflexor Labs, who are the people behind Rye, to minimize their own position in uh, Rye governance. And they have published a roadmap for this, which is kind of cool. So who can mint? What is the claim on and what are the rules? So who can mint? Similarly to MakerDAO, anyone with collateral. However, they take a purist approach. So they only allow ETH as a collateral. I don't know if they intend to keep it that way. It appears that way. Um, what is it a claim on if you hold a rye? Well, it is a claim on uh, some amount of ETH, which is in the system. And if that ETH is unable to be sold, it is a claim on the buffer. Um, and if that surplus buffer is uh, not sufficient, then it is a claim on basically them issuing new equity to cover your losses. Uh, again, I think it's kind of cool to have like a multi-tiered system like this. The biggest difference with Rye and Dai is that Rye has a very strong decentralization ethos. So ETH collateral only, they're very much about censorship resistance and choosing ETH as the only collateral type is one way to do that. Because if USDC would, for example, be a collateral type, then similarly to Maker, you could end in with a position where Circle could just blacklist the USDC and take down uh, the value of Rye. But it is not a stable coin in the traditional sense. So it's not pegged one to one. Currently, I believe the interest, or sorry, the exchange rate is one Rye for $3, uh, which is why in the giveaway of this episode, uh, while I'm giving away 10 USDC, 10 DAI, and 10 uh, Tether, it's only three Rye, or 3.3, uh, because that's appro uh, approximately the same. Uh, this also brings a, a downside of their, uh, their token quite presciently to mind. Uh, for a lot of people who use the stable coins, um, if you're trying to transfer a stable amount of money or you're working in DeFi, then um, Rye is slightly too unstable to be perfect for you, unless you are uh, a decentralization maxi. And I know a bunch of you are, so I'm sure you uh, <laughs> you guys are probably a big fan of the, uh, the concepts of, of Rye. Um, if you're going to ask yourself, what is the best stable coin for me to use. So think through this matrix that we discussed. So we have the centralized backed stable coins, USDC and Tether, algorithmic but collateralized, DAI and RAI are examples, uh, and non-collateralized algorithmic tokens. So whenever you think about what is the best one for you, uh, it's all about trust on the counterparty. So who mints? Do you care that Circle is the only only entity that can mint USDC and that they can blacklist things? Maybe not. I mean, most people don't, which is why USDC is so popular. Uh, or perhaps you do, in which case you might want to go for something like DAI, or if you really want the full decentralization, you're going to gravitate towards Rye. Um, while I don't give financial advice, I would say steer clear of non-collateralized algorithmic stablecoins for now. That covers the basics of how stablecoins work. If you have any questions, you can reach me on Twitter as the handle actually mentor. If you want to support this episode, uh, you can find the support this episode pop in the description of this, uh, this episode, uh, which entitles you to join the raffles for, um, for the episodes. I give away some fun token, uh, usually the token that the episode uh, is about or aligned with. 
thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed and see you next time.